Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, or we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mo Mobile University of Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guests are the brother Brothers Gales. Uh, they've written a book, and we're going to talk about it, and hopefully by the end of it, you'll be inspired, and you'll go to Amazon and get yourself a copy. It's an interesting uh, book. I, I never thought about educators writing one like this, so I'm, I'm anxious to get into uh, the subject matter. So for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, selves? Sure. Uh, thanks, Dr. Will, for having us. We're super excited to talk about our book coming out and love your intro about living your best life, because that's what uh, Gary and I wrote the book for, to get educators to get back to living their best life and feeling fulfilled. Um, I am Greg Gels, and I'm um, the older twin brother. I like to rub that in whenever I can. Gary and I uh, grew up right outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we both currently work in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, right outside of Milwaukee. I am a high school principal um, that recently transitioned our alternative education high school into a project-based learning high school. So we are now fully project-based learning at, at our high school and it's super exciting. And uh, I guess just real quick about me, I have a social work and counseling background. So I actually started my professional career outside of education, started it in social work, uh, running a group home for juveniles coming out of the detention uh, facilities and also um, working in child welfare on the, in, in the inner city of Milwaukee. So I have that counselor and social worker kind of frame of mind that I bring into um, educational leadership. And I'm going to pass it over to Gary, and he's got uh, his own little interesting story in education. Gary. Hey, Dr. Well, thanks for having us. I uh, appreciate it. If I had a nickel for every time I was called dope, I'd have a nickel. So thank you for that. Appreciate that. Um, and uh, as Greg said, he's the uh, significantly older brother, and I'm, I'm known as the uh, better looking twin brother. It's too bad this is a podcast, but uh, you'll just take my word for it. Um, so uh, my name is Gary. I've been an educator for over 20 years, initially as a kindergarten teacher and then a first grade teacher. Then I was actually a principal of a 600 student elementary school in an urban setting. Then I was a principal here in Muskego, which is uh, southwest of Milwaukee a little bit. Then I was actually an assistant superintendent here. And finally, as of five years ago, um, I became a first grade teacher again. So I went back to the classroom. So administrators, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Administrators talk a lot about missing teaching and wanting to go back. And I actually did it. It's crazy. But it's uh, been a unique path um, for me and my family, the best path I could have taken. And it's led me to uh, write this book with my twin brother and, and be fortunate enough to share the air with him and to have some of your time today, Dr. Will. So thanks for the opportunity. I'll be missing that check. <laughs> we are missing the check. More, more, more mac and cheese than normal, but that's okay. <laughs> that's what I'll be doing. Like, woo. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. Uh, so I'm always curious as to how did how do people get to where they are? Uh, what did you think you would be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in a K through 12 classroom? Sure. So I'll go first on that one, Dr. Will. For me, um, what did I think I was going to do when I was growing up? Easy. NBA superstar, for sure. 
and uh, I was going to be the next Giannis or LeBron. And that was supposed to be me up there. But, you know, when I was in seventh grade and I played 30 seconds of the game at the end, when we were either getting blown out or we were blowing somebody out and that was the only time I played, then I realized that maybe I had to kind of reconsider my future. And so now I'm a, still a superstar, but I'm a superstar for six-year-olds in my classroom. Greg? Nice. How do I follow that up? Uh, we were born in 74, so we're both 46. We grew up in the 80s. I wanted to be Magnum PI. I mean, that guy had it going on. If you guys remember Magnum PI, right? He was the he was the private investigator. He had an awesome car, lived in Hawaii, all of that, right? And the sweet mustache, for sure. But seriously, um, how I got here was really, I think, through the influence um, of our mom. So um, I always wanted to get some uh, involved in something with the helping profession. Our mom was like super caring and uh, kind of instilled the value system in us to like always put other people first. So um, I mentioned earlier, uh, I have, my first degree was in social work. So I got into that and then into school counseling. And so it was always about helping people. What better place and what better way to help people than the in the field of education? It's it's a beautiful, beautiful field that we all get to make an impact in every day. So we're we're excited about that. So you're both both, you know, your brothers and you wrote a book together. How did you discover that you were both writers? And what was the process for you in figuring out what you wanted to write about? Yeah, so Gary always wants me to tell everybody about how I came to him first. I came to him because uh, I had this like really clear message in my mind, like a calling to write a book together and took him out to dinner and told him like, hey, we should we should write a book together. And his exact words were, are you crazy? Mm -hmm. That's, That's what he said. Are you crazy? And then it took two or three months for him to finally, you know, think about it and, and then say, yeah, let's do it. So we did not start the process, Dr. Will, knowing what we were going to write about, we just thought it would be a super cool life experience as twin brothers to say, you know what, we have over 40 years of experience in very different um, districts and very different uh, roles. And so wouldn't it be cool and powerful to write a book that could truly encompass all K-12 educators. And the way we do that is that Gary has elementary experience. I have middle and high school experience. We both have some uh, urban you know, uh, experience. Gary's now in the suburbs, but I'm still, you know, I have the inner city and the urban experience going on. We've, we've worked with families from that are uh, very poor families all the way up through uh, affluent families. We've worked with regular ed, special ed. I was a, a dean of special education for a little bit, so supervised that. Again, worked with counselors, social workers. Gary went through his you know, uh, uh, experiences in the classroom and in schools. So we feel like we, we could write a book that literally covered all K through 12 educators, including leaders, and be able to speak not about what we heard about or maybe read about or someone did research about, but speak to stories that we experienced ourselves in those broad uh, uh, roles in our 40 plus years of experience. So that's kind of where we started. And then we just said, let's find something we're both passionate about. So it took us months, man, but we were able to narrow down, like we want to talk about people's passions and their purpose. And we want to talk about learning and appreciating other people's perspectives. So that's what we wrote about in our book, What's in Your Core, An Educator's Guide to Plugging into Purpose and Perspective. So if I can piggyback off of that, Dr. Will, you asked us, how do you discover that you were both writers? So for me, I think we made each other 
writers by leveraging each other's strengths. And so one writer oftentimes doesn't naturally have every skill necessary to write a book. That's certainly the case for us. Uh, but when you access someone else's strengths in writing, where your weaknesses are, especially when it's your first attempt at writing a book, there's a lot of power there. So um, if you're listening and you're thinking about writing a book, you know, I would say consider tapping on the shoulder of a friend or a colleague, or maybe your long lost twin, if you have one. And um, um, if you have any questions about, you know, the process or anything, just message us or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Gels Brothers. We'd be happy to talk further with you and about the writing process or publishing or, or anything about educating kids. Frankly, if it wasn't for Greg, I wouldn't be an author and, and likely vice versa for him as well. We're just two dudes from Wisconsin who collaborated over two and a half years and we wrote a book. And thanks again for letting us talk about it tonight. So as you mentioned, the title of your book is What's in Your Core. What was the inspiration for the book? Whose turn is it, Gary? You. My turn, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say... I'll go first. Okay, you go first. Yeah, so um, I think the, uh, the main inspiration for the book is really purpose and perspective. So um, Greg's going to talk to you in just a couple minutes about purpose. But for me, as far as the inspiration of the book goes, it was more about understanding our colleagues' perspectives. Perspective meaning being truly understanding of, of who you work with every day in the school system. So collectively, as Greg was indicating earlier, Greg and I have actually about a dozen different jobs in education. I said that right, a dozen different jobs between us. So that means one of two things, either we can't hold down a job to save our lives, or we have an understanding of kind of a perspective, if you will, about what every single role in education does to support kids. So in all of our jobs, we've been on or work closely with classroom teachers, principals, assistants, special education staff, custodial workers, district office, school board members, you name the group and we know their value. So through our stories that we write about in the book, we move educators from thinking, what does that person do all day long? Or why do they feel that way about a certain issue? to now knowing and trusting that all educators everywhere working in schools, they're working hard for kids and understanding that your colleagues differing roles and opinions are a value add to kids. Greg, you wanna tell us a little bit more about purpose? Yeah, you know, I think um, more directly with Dr. Will's question about, you know, the inspiration is like, it's, it's for, the inspiration was educators, plain and simple, educators, and again, written written for educators by educators people doing the job every day on the front line so we respect those people and that was the inspiration it was like we want people to get back to what they love about their jobs dr will we know that in education um and in a lot of fields like we can get overpowered and so much stuff piled on on us that takes away from what we are passionate about and what we love and so really that's what we wrote the book for to help people stop and reflect and try to remember why they entered education and the moments and the things they do that fulfill them and bring them energy. And we want them to like return to that. We just want people to love what they do because we're all better educators when we're loving what we do. Mm. So you, you, when you put something out there, uh, you know, I have my documentary 
and you have your book. You you you, you get it out there, and you you hoping that people get it, and it's not just something that you know friends and family uh, support. To that, what would you say is the essential pain point of the book? So when you talk about pain point, Dr. Willick, to me it sounds a, a lot of like, what's the problem? What, what the, what's the problem you're trying to come around? And so um, in my opinion, you know, and Greg alluded to this earlier, one of the main problems is in education, especially this crazy year with the pandemic and everything else going on, I think educators are losing their fun. They're forgetting that fun has to be a necessary part of, of teaching, because if you lose your fun, you kind of lose your purpose. So. Um, in my opinion, um, the comment about needing to have fun, it's a necessity, um, can kind of blow people away right now, especially educators, because um, they're super stressed. They're stressed now, maybe more than ever. This school year kind of feels like their first year all over again with all the stressors. So whether you're virtual or face-to-face -face or some kind of blended approach, um, there's a lot of stress out there. And so I think the pain point is we, we forgot about fun. And so the idea of having fun right now is super important. It seems like a stretch, but it's really super important um, for all educators to be able to come around that, focus on fun um, every single day, because the potential for fun is all around us. It's every day in every educator, even this year. And um, the students know if you're not having fun, you know? And if you're not having fun, guess what? They're not gonna have fun. And if they're not having fun, well, you know, what's the point? So the pain point is, Let's get back to what we love about the job. Let's have fun while we're doing it. And uh, when that happens, we'll get back to our purpose and kind of what's at our own core and uh, kids are gonna benefit as a result. Yeah, I don't have much to elaborate on that because Gary's right. It's just that, that that pain point is losing sight of our purpose. And that's really the, the whole point of the book, Dr. Wills. We walk people through um, different cores, and we can talk about that a little bit later about what the cores are, but um, we walk them through those things and try to get them to evaluate themselves. And then again, return to those cores, return to those things that they're passionate about and they love and that energizes them. And then um, figuring out a way to also understand and respect and trust the, you know, passions and the cores of their colleagues, because man, we know when we put all of those things together, in one space and whether that's a classroom or a school or a district and we got everybody firing on full cylinders and everybody's loving what they do then some crazy amazing things happen for kids and in our schools so that's what we just want people to get back to we don't want them to this is what's cool about our book we're not trying to teach anyone a new skill how many people can come on a show like yours and and talk about their book and not talk about things they're trying to teach someone, the new strategy, the new thing. We're not trying to teach anyone anything new. We're trying to teach you how to return back to what's awesome about you already instead of something new. So your book starts off with the question of asking what's in your core? What does that actually mean? It's a great question. We've done several podcasts. They've been awesome. And this is the first time anybody's actually asked that question. It's on point. Thank you. So Greg's going to talk a little bit about those, what we call cores, calling or reasons in education. We have 10 of them actually. And so um, they, they range from changer, core, collaborator, connector, energizer, helper, innovator. And there's, like I said, a total of 10 of them. And Greg's going to speak a little bit more to what that actually means. 
Thank you, Gary. You're welcome. For that introduction. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. It's like we're twins. And I'm just, you know. I knew. Twin power. Only 46 years of working together. We can like read each other. 46 years and nine months of knowing each other. Yeah. That's right. He, He always adds the nine months, you know. I'm three minutes older, by the way, just for the record. So cores, when we talk about cores, Dr. Will, you asked what cores are. And remember the book's about two things, two things, purpose and perspective. And the cores really focus on the purpose part and the purpose is our why. So the cores, like Gary said, stand for calling or reason in education. We created 10 cores. And uh, what we think is that basically they're made up of our innate personal attributes. Like they're things that are already inside of us that, that, um, that we use uh, with kids every day and to feel comfortable and awesome and doing great things. You can think of them, and this is awesome, like your educational personality type. So your core is like your educational personality type. And when we wrote the book, we don't, you know, although there's 10 cores, we don't want people to read it and just narrowly put themselves into one core. It's more about getting people to stop and reflect on what they love and what they're naturally good at. So um, people can be more than one core or like a lot of one and a little bit of another one, but that's what we want people to do with these. And Gary, Gary gave some of the examples of cores. So like advocate, character builder, connector, we like name these cores we define them, we break them down with supporting documentation and data and like research from, um, from other people in the field and talk about like what makes those people special and different. And then again, we, again, we want people to then figure out how to return to that core. So if someone's a character builder core, we, you know, we teach them and, and guide them in ways to return to that character builder core so they can feel amazing and awesome and fulfilled. And then also obviously get uh, great things um, out of kids. So that's, that's what the cores are all about. So let's go deeper into those, to a few of those cores, uh, so that the audience has a better feel. Let's do it. So one of the examples of a core is an energizer core. Okay. So again, there's 10 cores and one of them is the energizer core. So what we first do in our book is we, we define it. And so again, we came up with these and we, uh, define them ourselves. So we define the energizer core, as someone who spreads their positive attitude, joy, and fun in all they do, the Energizer Core. So it's 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 really about uh, uh, energy and fun, right? So Gary talked about that. So it kind of makes sense to talk about Energizer Core. What we do then throughout the chapter, um, every core has its own chapter. So within the chapter, one of the cool things we do that we didn't talk about yet is we actually. We, we haven't talked about how odd and different our book is. We don't follow the normal structure of a lot of educational books. So when people page through it, they actually see old pictures of Gary and I growing up. And we want that to be fun. And we're making fun of ourselves, to be quite honest. And one of the things we do, Dr. Will, and this is going to sound really weird, but we expose our older brother, Jeff, for some crazy, awful things he did to us when we were growing up. And we're saying that jokingly, just so people are on the podcast or no, we're just messing around. But we, we uh, tie personal funny stories into each core. Okay. And so in addition to that, um, then we go down and we break down each core into different subcategories. And like I said earlier, Uh, We use research from the field to kind of support where we're coming from. And then the coolest part, to be honest, I think, 
and I think the reader will find this, is that Gary and I share professional stories from our, our own experiences that hopefully not only connect with the reader, but obviously support the core. And when you have two authors that have over 40 years of 12 different types of you know, roles, and we can cover just about everything in education, we are very confident that whoever reads it can connect in some way because we're not talking about their job. We're talking about the job, their job that we've done as well. So that's kind of what we do in each core. Again, there's 10 of them. And then the end of each chapter, I think this is really important. We wanted to write the book, Dr. Will, that would be a really good book study for schools and for groups. And so the way to do that is to give some real practical um, advice and practical steps for, for people to take if they're one of these cores. And we also um, put reflective questions and some challenges and next steps because we don't want people just to read it and be entertained, although that's a real goal of ours. We just want it to be a real fun, light, entertaining book. We want people to get something out of it and be able to change their practice tomorrow. So Dr. Will, I just want to add on to that and just say what he said. Yeah, nailed it. I left him speechless. So as educators reading, reading through the book, and let's say that they identify a few cores, uh, now what? What do they do? What, what are the next steps for them? Yeah, another solid question, Dr. Will. It's like you've done this before. Um, so yeah, that's the whole point of the book. Or reading any book, you want to make sure that you do something next. And so from my point of view, um, one thing you need to do when you identify your own core is reread at the end of the chapter. At the end of the chapter, Greg kind of alluded to it, we've got some um, parts in there where you can be reminded of how valuable you are, the value you bring to your students, to your colleagues on your team, to your administrators and your school. So step one is really Go back to the end of that chapter of whatever core you are, reread it and appreciate your value. Second step of three is seek opportunities to leverage your strengths. You know, for example, if you're a teacher who has energizer at their core, instead of, um, you know, doing your hallway duty, um, maybe ask the principal if you could switch to the morning, morning greeter duty at the main at the main entrance, something that can really maximize um, your strengths. Or if you have preparer at your core and you enjoy preparing schedules, ask if you can, instead of your weekly lunchroom duty, um, you know, could you instead help build some schedules out for this for the principal again leveraging your strengths. So the last third step in my mind is. Um, when you identify what your core is. Step three, learn to love your colleagues for their own cores that are different from yours uh, because those differences bring strength to the overall education that um, kids receive. And, and my addition, Dr. Wills, we talk, we're talking a lot about the cores and purpose and that's, that's awesome. But I, I think the secret um, to our book, like the, the biggest takeaway people can get is it's not just about understanding yourself, it's about understanding others. And I think that's what makes our book a little different. There's books out there about, you know, finding your purpose and returning and, and, and all of that, but there's not anything that we found out there that says, don't just appreciate your own and leverage that, but, but learn the cores of your colleagues, learn what they're passionate about. And then let's like lean into that and let's trust them. And let's, you know, even if we don't totally understand or um, agree with where they're coming from, if we have that feeling of trust in schools where we just go, you know what, I don't, I don't know where that person's coming from, but I, I know that they have what's best for kids in mind. And I know they have a different core and a different skill set than me. I'm going to trust them. 
And so we call it in the book, the unifying power of perspective taking. And we think it's just super awesome when schools can get to a point where they appreciate where everyone is coming from and what skills they have to offer. And we just put it all together in one spot and bam, a lot, a lot of awesome stuff can happen. Lastly, with that is like, if you're a school leader listening to this, holy man, wouldn't it be great to be able to very quickly drill down to the skill sets and the passions of all of your staff and then put them in the right spots? So our book is, uh, we, we stress that it's not about your title and it's not about your position, right? It should be about what you're good at, what you love. And so as a school leader out there, or a district leader, uh, read our book because you can figure out how to best uh, find out what drives your staff and then put them in the right spots to achieve amazing things for kids. Mm. Now, when you talk about valuing perspectives, I want to throw this out there to you because <clears throat> with March and the pandemic and the digital learning, we also uh, have seen uh, protests and the, the killing of unarmed uh, black men by police. And you do have teachers, black teachers who teach, who when you go to school, you don't turn off being black. I mean, you bring that with you. And when they come to school and are dealing with that because they themselves may have been pulled over or they may they themselves have sons or daughters that they are fearful, feel, fearful of what may happen to them when they're coming to the school. And we're talking about valuing perspectives and, and those things. How can school leadership create an environment in which those teachers feel comfortable enough to express how they're feeling uh, so that they don't come to school and feel like I have to hold this in because if I say something, I'll be that person. The answer is, listen. It sounds so simple. The school I work at, Dr. Will, has over half of our population of students are students of color. And we're at over 75% of our students are low-income families that qualify for free reduced lunch. They're students that have been through a lot in their lives. And I bring up students because it's similar to what you're saying with, with staff. We need to listen. And so that's one of the things we try to do at our school is listen, because as adults, we, we say we're lifetime, you know, we're lifelong learners, right? And then we close our ears. So instead of, uh, of course, listening to podcasts, reading books is awesome. But what we need to do is open our ears to students and where they're coming from. And we need to open our ears to our staff. And so we do a ton of empathy interviews because it's all about learning and hearing someone's story. That's, that's what's real. It might not be my reality, but it's their reality. And if it's their reality, that's all I care about. So what we need to do is listen. We need to stop, listen, understand, or at least try to understand where our biases are, understand um, that we have learning to do because holy man, our country has a lot of learning and growing to do. And, the, and how does that start? It starts by listening. So not to be rude and say these words, but as adults, sometimes we need to shut up and listen and uh, hear, hear from our students, hear from our staff, hear from our families. And uh, the better we can try our best to learn and understand where others are coming from, that's when we can start to change our own ideas and behaviors and thus change 
society, but it's going to take some time, isn't it? Yeah, we got a long we got a long way to go, Dr. Well. I think um, your dialogue hit home for me. You know, it rang true for me too. And you know, I think I was just listening to you. So I'm sure you had us on the on the podcast today to learn a few things, perhaps from us. But I think I just learned more from you in, in your two minute dialogue there. So thank you for sharing that perspective. I couldn't agree more. And we're not supposed to ask you questions, but can we? Like, I want to know what I mean educate us and your listeners what 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 should we be doing in schools um to listen to our staff and listen to our students and families uh not an expert but i think that atmosphere should be where people are free to share without people pointing people assessing blame or people feeling uh, attacked, or hey, it's, it's, it's you know, it, 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 it's not me, it's not me, it's not me, um, you know, because I literally there's a guy he and I no longer talk anymore because we were talking about race, and I told him that racism will not be solved by black folk. I said, we did not create this system. We do not support this system. We do not maintain the system. That's something that white people need to do themselves. They need to have that dialogue. They need to check their relative or check their friend. Or when they're in, in positions to hire people, look at the hiring practices. Who are they hiring? Why are they hiring? To make sure that no biases or anything are creeping up. But he was offended that I that that I that that I said that because I told them in terms of the work that I'm doing, I'm more focused on what can we as black people do? Become entrepreneurs, uh, build schools, uh, create you know our own economic power to create a political agenda because we're not sort of coming to the table wondering what a politician will do, but you have that money behind you to say, this is what we demand, this is what we want. And he was like, well, Will, wow, I'm offended. Uh, I said, oh, okay. Uh, and we haven't spoken in years. Well, Pete did. I saw him, I did see him at ISTE and we shared uh, about a two minute conversation, but that's been it. Uh, and I, and that's one of those things I just think, you know, whether it's, you know, male, female or the race thing, you know, if, if women are talking and they're saying this, you know, as a male, when you say, that's not me, I don't do that. That doesn't help the conversation right just let them feel let the person feel comfortable enough to say what they need to say or, or to share their experience so i i think that's what needs to happen just people just just allowing people to to say it and don't feel like blame is being put on them or you as an individual as you're hearing it you're you're saying am i saying hey i didn't do anything like that it's not me uh because that other person is like well 
they're not going to want to talk after that. Yeah. You know, so like I said, I'm not an expert, but I think that right. would go, go, go a long way. But, but you lived it and I'm sorry you lost your friend in a way with that, but you know what, they're on their own journey and they're just, for whatever reason, not ready to hear that yet or ready to take responsibility. That's where the empathy part comes in, right? You got to be able to listen and hear people. Unfortunately, this is really embarrassing, but we're, we're coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the most segregated city in the United States. That is awful and embarrassing and disgusting. And that's just Milwaukee. We, we got to do something about it. And, you know, we're talking about a, a national problem, but uh, we feel you and we're, we're trying to do our part, but it's, it, it's, it's going to be all of us. That's for sure. So we're getting ready to, to come to a close. What are some of the teacher stories that you're hearing that get you excited? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, I'm thinking about in particular a teacher story that I can share with you that gets me excited because it happened in my classroom about two weeks ago. And uh, just an example of some of the, I hope, um, things going on in classrooms today that are um, exciting and energizing and um, fun for kids. And we talked a little bit about that today. And so I was just reflecting back now when I think about your question about a, a writing lesson that I did. I remember I have first grade kids. And, and so the lesson was about how um, almost every single word that they write has a vowel in it, E-I-O-U or sometimes Y. So I told the kids, this is kind of the funny part. I hope it's the funny part, at least for the listener, or at the very least for you, Dr. Will. Um, I said, um, if you can come back tomorrow with a word that does not have a vowel in it, I'll give you a dollar. But I pronounced dollar, doll hair, like the hair of a doll. Mm -hmm. And um, But so I said a couple of times, come back tomorrow and if you, and I'll give you a dollar. Um, but again, I was kind of careful with my pronunciation of that. So sure enough, the next day, a couple of kids came back with some options and they're all of them um, were super excited about um, kind of that energizer core that we talk about in the book, super excited to see if anybody would win a dollar. One girl actually did. She had an example of a word that did not have a vowel. Turns out the word shh, like be quiet, shh, does not have a vowel. And so I busted out a, a plastic uh, Ziploc baggie. And inside of that baggie was literally a doll hair. Um, don't tell any of my three girls that are home that I, I trimmed one of their dolls hair for wow. them. Uh, but I gave it to her. And at that point, she said, and this is the best part, what a jip. What a jip, she said. Uh, and that's just an example of just having some fun. We talk about that in the book. Um, being an energizer, spreading positive attitude, joy, and fun and all that we do. And so... Um, lots of fun teacher stories going on out there. Lots of work for us to do, but obviously, um, I'm you know that's one story of of just some good things happening in, in this classroom, and it's one of many um, throughout this district and and the uh, state and the country. For me, Dr. Will, what's exciting to me is seeing the transformation of education um, moving away from like traditional um, education and instruction where where students are um, consumers. Of, of information that teachers deliver and moving more towards learner-centered uh, education for kids. Our school district, West Dallas, West Milwaukee School District is leading the way in Wisconsin in deeper learning. And uh, my school luckily has been able to be defined as a project-based learning school. So man, we are, we are student and staff-driven school. And that's what excites me is to like see students that are now creating their own learning, they're part of it, they are taking ownership of it. 
and um, they're they're are they're taking the content that teachers are helping them, but um, they are taking things and and moving in the really awesome, powerful direction of creating their own learning and then providing deliverables and showing projects that that show how it's authentic and how it's real and how it's going to prepare them for the real world. We're seeing shifts of that all over the country. So if people are doing more non-traditional learning and more self-directed learning for students, that it's super powerful and awesome. And that's what excites me right now in education. Awesome, awesome. So before we go, what is your advice to that educator who will be listening to this episode and they're thinking about writing a book? Ooh. Mm -hmm. You know, I could say, don't do it. No. Okay, so it's cool because uh, we, we talked earlier, Gary and I, about how, like, um, how we became writers and we laughed because we are not writers, but we have something to say, right? So you don't have to be a writer and a professional writer or, you know, amazing with everything in words and uh, in order to be, uh, to write a book. So that's my, my thing is if you have something to say and some people need to hear it, then, then you can write a book. And when you look at our book, it is conversational tone, there's a ton of humor in it. It's you, you wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want uh, my college English professor to be reading my book because they're going to tear it apart, right? Our book, but um, it's not about that. So I think a lot of times what stops people is they don't think they have the skill set to write a book. It's not about the skill set, it's about having something powerful to say that people need to hear. And that's why we wrote the book. We're not professional writers, but dang it, we got something to say. We threw it together, put it in a book. There, it is a long process. So people out there, you know, you can self-publish uh, your own book. We were lucky enough that Roman and Littlefield, you know, agreed to publish our book, but you can self-publish. You can um, go through a publishing company, obviously. But if you have something to say, don't let anybody stop you. Write that dang book. And it doesn't have to be a book, right? It can be blog posts. It can be vodcast, podcast, whatever your platform is. What If you have something to say, get it out to the world. The only thing I would add to that is to stay with it because this was a two and a half year long process. And, uh, you know, thankfully I got to write it with my twin brother who I actually learned that I like more than I thought I did two and a half years ago. So there's a good possibility there that that relationship can grow with you if you do happen to write with somebody else. But you got to stick to it. Pick a topic that you love. Write it down in any way, shape or form that you want to and just put in the work because anybody even two dudes from Wisconsin who really probably shouldn't have been writing a book. We wrote a book. We did it. We did the hard work. And uh, here we are sharing the air with you. Thanks again for having us. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe, share with your network. I like the stars. But can you leave me some reviews or some comments because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank the Gales brothers for coming on and dropping some gems and sharing their experiences with their book. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show. As always, people, invest in you, EDU. Peace.